I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grosso. Tonight on Fast, stocks rally as President Trump says he is leaving the hospital tonight. We are live in the nation's capital with the very latest. Plus, tracking the treatment, Regeneron shares surging on news. President Trump is taking its experimental coronavirus treatment. We will get a top analyst take on that move. And later, choose your own adventure. The chartmaster is laying out five different scenarios on how the market could end the year. Find out which path our traders are taking. But we begin with breaking news out of Washington. President Trump's medical team confirming just a short time ago that he will be leaving the Walter Reed Medical Center in about 90 minutes from now. Let's get straight to Eamon Javers outside Walter Reed with the latest. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, that's right. The president's doctor said that he's feeling well enough that he just doesn't need all the bells and whistles of this facility you see behind me. They brought him here uh, out of an abundance of caution, they said, because this is one of the world's greatest medical facilities. But they're confident at this point that they can treat him, continue to treat him and monitor him over the next week or so back at the White House where they have pretty good facilities of their own. Here's what the uh, president's doctor said just a short time ago. We send patients home with medications all the time. Uh, In fact, yesterday afternoon, he probably met most of his uh, discharge requirements uh, safely from the hospital. Uh, And he's returning to a facility, the White House Medical Unit, that's staffed 24-7, top-notch physicians, nurses, PAs, logisticians. And uh, the unit here, uh, the team here behind me is going to continue to support us in that nature. Now, the president had a tweet just before the doctors came out explaining his decision to leave. We should, should see that departure here coming up later on this evening. The president in his tweet saying he'll be leaving Walter Reed says, feeling really good. Don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. We have developed under the Trump administration some really great drugs and knowledge. I feel better than I did 20 years ago. So the president uh, on a high here as he gets set to leave Walter Reed, feeling very good, heading back to the White House this evening. And then we'll see to what degree they can resume business as usual during the course of the rest of this week. Of course, the virus itself is still rampaging through the president's staff. Kaylee McEnany, the White House press secretary, announced today that she has diagnosed positive with COVID-19. A number of other White House staffers, uh, it was revealed today, diagnosed positive over the weekend as well. So the the virus continues to spread through the president's staff uh, at the White House, even as the president prepares to go back to the White House tonight. Melissa, back over to you. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers outside Walter Reed. Let's take a look at the market reaction here because it was decisive. Stocks rallying late in the session on this news that the president is leaving the hospital. Guy Adami, for a market that sort of um, shrugged off the president being hospitalized on Friday, it is quite a reaction that we saw in today's session to news that he's being released. Without question, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I thought there was a really good chance we would trade up to 3395, which was the prior all time high in the S&P 500 made in February. And I thought we'd fail there Friday. That looked to be pretty prescient. And obviously today sort of blew that up, closing at 3410. You know, the market is it's obviously resilient. There's obviously a lot of things going on here. That news is outstanding, clearly. And, and the market took its cues from that. Still about stimulus, um, but I mentioned two things that I think are worth bringing up. The fact that the VIX is so stubborn, still around that 28 level, I think it actually closed higher on the day. Take that for what it's worth. And you saw one of the biggest one-day moves in the bond market. Tim can speak to this. I think in terms of yields, I think the 10 years, the highest level we've been since June 16th. And in terms of the TLT, it's the lowest we've seen since that date. So that's something to watch as well. 
But just looking at through the prism of the S&P 500, and to a certain extent, the Russell, very, very encouraging for the bull camp. Yeah, Tim, it was about a seven basis point move over the course of the day from morning to uh, evening here. So what you make of that move in the bond yields? And we started to see the bonds yields tick up uh, Thursday, Friday even. So as Guy pointed out, if you look at the 10-year outside of a, of a move in June, we're really effectively uh, or near the highs going all the way back to April. And, and what it tells me is uh, two things. One, uh, you did have better data. You had a better ISM. You had a better services. Uh, and you've had better PMIs around the rest of the world. And I think there is some sense that the, the global economy is picking up some steam. Not, not, you know, this is not runaway train here. But um, I think you have some concept that there may be some inflation in the pipeline uh, and, and that you are seeing some of these reflation trades work. So the parts of the, uh, of the market that were reflective of the bond move, I think were everything from energy, which we'll talk about, but also resources and, and of course, banks. And, and let's wait till we get more of a sustained move out of banks. Although I've said, despite all the pain and all the, the, the easy attack upon the performance of the banks, uh, uptrends are largely intact, even for the XLF from those lows. Um, but, but then look at uh, you know, semiconductors and the real cyclical parts of the economy. Semis are with 1% of all-time highs. So um, yes, watch the bond market. I think it, it is significant, but that we're also getting leadership back from big cap tech. And that may have been the greatest strength today. Yeah, Karen, what did you make of the rally and what do you think today's rally was built on? I think it was built on uh, hopes of a stimulus seeming more likely. But I also think it was built on the possibility of a Democratic sweep as Biden has improved in the polls even in the last few days. And that with the Democratic sweep, there would be even more stimulus and that would be very inflationary. So that's what I think was happening. And earlier in the day, we didn't know if the president would be released today or tomorrow. I don't even know that it would have made much difference. But sort of the last 50 points, not the first 400, I think, were prior to the announcement that the president would be coming home today. So that's what I think was really driving it. That because we, it was interesting because any kind of stock went up, even names that are, you know, Zoom went up, while tech went up, while industrials went up, while resources went up. We haven't seen that kind of global move up probably since the Fed first started really, you know, coming out with just bazookas. So that was interesting to me. But I think it was more stimulus and potential of a Democratic sweep. Steve, what do you make of today's rally and, and also this notion that a Democratic sweep would actually be good news? I mean, consensus just days ago was that that would be the worst scenario for the stock market. Yeah, I think people make too much over what political party at first, your, your first knee-jerk reaction to. But I think Karen hit it on the head. The fact that everything rallied means that it's about stimulus. So if you have tech rallying with energy rallying, it's a little bit about rotation, but it's a lot about reflation. So if you have a Democrat coming in, to Karen's point, there's going to be a ton of stimulus, but they need the Senate as well to get anything passed. So I think the market is sort of saying we're excited about stimulus. We're excited about the president getting out of the hospital, but more so about stimulus because historically markets shrug off whatever illness uh, presidents do have in short order pretty much. I would say this is about the reflation trade, about spending money. They're talking about if the Senate goes blue as well, you could talk about spending packages up to $10 trillion. I mean, it's, it's an enormous amount. 
So you sort of don't want to, between now and the election and now and year end, you sort of get a little bit of uh, poker face play here. No one wants to short the market ahead of the election, but after the election and into year end, you can see some jockeying based on, uh, I would say, uh, uh, tax rates. You have to remember, Melissa, cap gains tax are set to double under a President Biden. That's where it gets pretty granular and specific, and that's where I see the market in trouble right. as far as the leadership, where, where they'd be selling these big, large-cap tech names to take the profits out of, and then you could see a rotation into those other names that are not up as much. So you have that potential rise in taxes with the Democratic sweep. You also have a potential rise in corporate taxes with the Democratic sweep. So, Guy Dami, let me get this straight here. Fiscal stimulus is greater than the impact, the offsetting impact of a rise in corporate taxes for the stock market? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I, I, can't, I don't know what the answer to that question is. I will tell you, though, that I think the market absolutely wants that baton pass from what's been obviously a decade or longer of monetary policy to fiscal stimulus without question. So I think to Steve's point, um, if, if that is, in fact, the numbers, I think that's probably extraordinarily bullish for the broader market because I do think that would override the taxes. But if you also believe that, I think you also, by definition, have to believe there's going to be another leg lower in the U.S. dollar, in my opinion, which means I think to Tim's earlier point, this whole commodity trade and this resource trade will work in a major way. So, mm. you know, if Steve is onto something, which he probably is, lower dollar, higher gold, stay with the miners, stay with the resource stocks. That's how I would interpret all of this, Melissa. All right, let's get more on today's rally. Joining us now, BTIG's Julian Emanuel. Julian, always great to speak with you. Um, you think 2021 is setting up very well for the stock market. What is, what is sort of the context with that good, of that good setup? So the context is, as we've been discussing here, stimulus, okay? There's going to be stimulus in all likelihood into or maybe just slightly after the election. However, even if there isn't going to be this package, which we do think there will be, the stage is being set for increased government spending next year. We think regardless of whether there's a blue wave or some other type of outcome. And I just want to set the record straight, actually. Uh, we've done a lot of work on the aftermath of elections. And when you've had years uh, such as this year, where the, the stock market has been sort of mixed along with an economy that has been in a recession, uh, when you go from divided government to united government, whichever way, obviously the presumption is it's going to be a blue wave, the market is up seven of eight years with an average gain of 17%. So there's every reason to believe that fiscal policy is going to help guide the market higher next year. So does fiscal policy, I'll, I'll pose the same question to you as I did to Guy, basically. Does fiscal policy, is that greater than in terms of the impact on the stock market, than the negative potential impact of higher corporate taxes? We believe so. We believe that when you, you look at it, particularly coming off a depressed earnings uh, cycle such as we've been in for the last several quarters. You know, the unlocking of potential and the unlocking of confidence. I think what one of the things we fail to remember is that during this entire sort of up cycle of the last several months, while the economy is recovering, uh, the jobs picture is recovering, the one thing that has lagged is actually consumer confidence. So to the extent that you get fiscal, and again, a lot of this also rests on some sort of medical progress 
against the virus, which I believe uh, is the base case, and we view that as a base case as well, you really do set the table once again uh, for the fiscal and these other elements uh, to sort of overrule uh, any tax increases you might see. Hey, Julian, as it relates to earnings season coming up, hey, it's Tim, by the way, in case you can't see me. Um, it, it's, it's, got- is there any particular sector that you think is well positioned going into this? And how much do you think this market uh, has prepared for earnings? In some sense, going into the second quarter earnings, we, we got some sense of where we were and where expectations were. I, I think we're on both sides of the map, and I think a lot of companies pulled uh, a lot of good news forward. Talk to me about that. So, so the market really is not prepared for earnings, per se, because you know, obviously the macro and the po- politics and, and so on has really swamped everything for the last, call it 45 days. Um, however, going into earnings, if you are able to either A, revise your guidance higher, or in some cases, in fact, uh, just reinstate guidance, you're likely to do pretty well. Now, uh, the stocks that have really worked, again, uh, you know, technology, those types of high flyers, um, the bar is difficult because their valuations versus expectations for next year uh, are, you know, the valuations are high, the expectations are less high, um, and an economy that's likely to accelerate is likely to show disproportionate gains for those more cyclical areas. Uh, financials you spoke about, we favor those uh, Uh, very substantially, particularly given what the interest rate market is telling us. And the interest rate market, by not moving during the downdraft in September, says long-end yields, in our view, are going higher. You also like health care, according to the notes that I have, Julian. And I thought the reasoning behind that was interesting. It's a strategically important sector for the government. What does that mean? So basically, if you look at it, we've had years really going back to 2015 and 2016, a very adversarial relationship of the government to the healthcare sector. That hasn't diminished uh, entirely, um, obviously, given the fact that, for one, we're going to hear potentially the ACA being adjudicated in front of the Supreme Court. But the bottom line is, is that a five and a half turn discount to the S&P 500 on a valuation basis versus an historical premium uh, average of one one and a half turns, healthcare has priced in all the bad news politically that it possibly can. And at the end of the day, uh, given what we've seen over the last six months with the horrid course of the virus and the fact that we're still gonna need at least, you know, all of next year to get back to a semblance of normal, it's very clear to us Mm -hmm. that either a Democrat or a Republican will view the healthcare sector as something that you cannot be adversarial entirely to, that you have to find, you know, workable partnering and relationships. We also think that's going to encourage M&A. Quite a change from the last election, certainly. Julian, thanks. Always good to see you. Julian Emanuel, BTIG. Uh, Karen, what we didn't touch on with the blue wave is increased regulation. I'm wondering in terms of financials, if that is a concern for you, even though we've got what looks like to be a steepening yield curve at this point, if we give something back in terms of regulation, um, then then how does that impact the sector in your view? I think to me, the, the credit issue is the most important thing for the banks. I just want to update you about 10 days ago, I talked about buying a position of trading position in banks as well as my long position. So I'm out of that trading position now. I feel like the easier money has been made. 
But I, I'm optimistic to hear bank earnings because I think the credit issues are going to be less than the market has priced in. But also, I really want to hear about what their view of the economy is. Because we have all these other things that matter, COVID and Fed and stimulus and election uncertainty and all of that. We don't know anything about fundamentals right now, or that isn't moving the market. So I like when fundamentals move the market. That makes more sense to me. So I'm hoping that starting next, I think it's Tuesday, we'll start to return to fundamentals and I'm long banks going into that. All right. Coming up, we're tracking the treatment trades, the big moves in biotechs as President Trump gets treated for COVID-19 and later the big call that sent this stock component rallying today. We'll tell you what it is and why investors are loving it when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. You're looking at a live shot of the Walter Reed Medical Center outside of Washington, D.C. In just over an hour from now, President Trump is expected to leave there and head back to the White House, where he will continue to get treated for the coronavirus. Let's get to Meg Terrell with more on the president's treatment plan. Hi, Meg. Hi, Melissa. Well, the president is going to be sent back to the White House where they've got a full medical suite to continue uh, his treatment that he began there at the White House and then continued at Walter Reed. So let's look at the uh, combination of medicines that his doctors have put him on. We learned on Friday, of course, he got Regeneron's experimental antibody cocktail. Uh, and that later that day, he also began a five-day course of Gilead's remdesivir, which is a emergency use authorized antiviral medicine. Saturday, he started the steroid dexamethasone. Uh, and the news today is that uh, he'll take a dose of remdesivir tonight before he leaves and will finish that course tomorrow at the White House while he continues on the steroid, Melissa. Now, of course, the big question mark in this regimen uh, is the uh, antibody cocktail from Regeneron. It is not approved, and we only saw the first data on it six days ago. Of course, we talked with Regeneron CEO Len Schleifer this morning about the signs he's seen so far in the president and whether that says it looks like it's working. You're asking me, did we help him? I'd like to think so. It's impossible to know with one patient, but the evidence we have from hundreds of patients thus far is that if you give this drug early in the disease, uh, course of the disease, uh, particularly in people who might have a high virus or maybe uh, they don't have enough, enough an immune response or the appropriate immune response, you can really help them clear that virus. Now, Melissa, if it did help the president, there's going to be a lot of demand for this medicine and supply will be an issue at the beginning. Regeneron says if it was authorized today and it's not yet, it would have 50,000 doses available outside of clinical trials. It aims to ramp that to 300,000 within a few months under a BARDA contract for $450 million. It provides those at no cost to Americans. And Mel, if you just think about the timing here, analysts are already saying within days we could potentially see an emergency use authorization of this drug. We've been talking about Election Day tied to a potential vaccine. Well, through this incredibly crazy turn of events, are we going to get a drug approved or emergency use authorized before the election? We'll see. And with barely a thousand patients of data right on, on this particular cocktail, Meg, I'm curious for the BARDA contract, just to understand that a little bit better. So the first, what, 300,000 doses? I'm just trying to understand at what point does Regeneron actually start to make any money off of any of these doses? Yeah, so the number of doses is 
um, contingent on the level of dose that they end up giving. And, mm. and what they found through this trial is they can probably give the lower dose and it will work well. The president, of course, got the higher dose that they looked at in the trial. And so that does, under the BARDA contract, give them 300,000 treatment doses. Now, if they use this for prevention, which we haven't seen the results on yet, uh, they can provide more uh, more doses because it's a lower dose of the medicine needed. So it's a little bit hard math to figure it out, but you can, of course, bet biotech analysts are hard at work on that. Yep, and we've got one coming up. Meg, thanks. Meg Terrell, shares of Regeneron, <laughs> as you see there, uh, up more than 7% just today alone on this. Steve Grasso, is this a reason to buy the stock? The fact that the president himself is taking it, does that change your view of Regeneron? Well, I think if you look at the chart on all these, before this latest news in Regeneron specifically, the stock had rolled over, started trading below its 50 and its 100-day moving average. Then it popped up again just on this headline. But I think you have to be quick on these for all of the questions that you followed up with Meg, because I don't think they're great investments right now. If you look at Regeneron, if you look at Gilead, if you look at uh, uh, Lilly, all of them are down significantly from either, if you look at Gilead's case, from March, April, the stock is down dramatically and the chart looks terrible. If you look at Regeneron, it was down 16% from its recent highs. It's still down 7% from its July highs. Lilly is down 25%. So the point is, I think you could trade these stocks. I wouldn't invest in them based on a vaccine because the profits are not really there yet as far as fundamentals are concerned. Let's talk more about some of these treatment trades uh, here. Joining us now is Brian Scorney, Senior Biotech Research Analyst at Baird. Brian, great to speak with you. Your, your last hey, note great uh, to speak with you as well. on Regeneron on September 29th is titled uh, the, the Cocktail, modestly reduces viral load, but unlikely to be a game changer. The fact that the president of the United States is taking this and, and it appears that there are some positive outcomes so far, is that in itself a game changer to your view? Um, not, not at all. And I think, I think the problem that we're seeing uh, again and again in all of the clinical data that we're seeing for, for SARS-CoV-2 um, is that you really, can't, you really can't go by anecdote to, to describe what the effect is here. Most patients recover. Um, Donald Trump, uh, our president, uh, very likely with no treatment would recover. So, so using anecdote to try to project um, what drugs work and, and what drugs don't work uh, is really a, a major flaw in, in the analysis here, really. And that's why we do randomized controlled studies um, to really measure the true difference from placebo. You recall uh, back in the April-May timeframe, there was a lot of enthusiasm for remdesivir. People thought um, these mortality rates that we were seeing in single-arm studies were, were really amazing. And then we saw the actual data, and, and it works. It's definitely a drug that, that seems to have an effect. But um, that enthusiasm that it would really change uh, the paradigm for, for this disease really never materialized in the clinical data. I think you'll see something similar um, with the, the REGN COVE-2 cocktail. Um, it's very encouraging, reduces viral load, seems to have some clinical effects. But, you know, I, I'd find it difficult to believe that uh, this drug is really changing the game. And even when you look at the time course for, for the president, you know, it, it's unlikely that it's contributing a major, major um, benefit to him because he did start this on Friday. Then he went on to remdesivir. Um, and, you know, if I was well, not his doctor, but, and, but the White House doctors are very, very smart. If he was really, really doing just fantastically great, um, this just completely uh, uh, decimated his, his viral condition. He wouldn't start dexamethasone on Sunday. So is it probably have an effect. It's probably having a small effect. Um, but, I, you know, I don't think this is what is, is curing him of the disease. 
Hey, Brian, it's Guy. Sorry, I, I don't know if Mel had a quick point. I was going to ask you a question, and I think you're saying sort of what Steve just said. Obviously, I understand what Regeneron, I get the headlines, but I think buried in that was the fact that one of your competitors, I think it was Canner, upgraded the stock $690 price target on the back of Dupixin, which is a completely different drug for a completely different thing. I think Regeneron, I see the headlines, but it's more about other things that they have that are actually out there and working, isn't it? And I think those are the reasons why you'd want to stay with a name like Regeneron. So I, I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree. Dupixin's been a great drug. It's a fantastically profitable uh, endeavor for both Sanofi and Regeneron. Um, but, you know, it was, it was the same as it was, um, you know, a year ago when the stock was trading uh, at, at 300, half the valuation. Uh, and, you know, I don't necessarily think that there's been a huge dynamic change. Now, when it was 300, I was much more uh, positive on the stock. Uh, you know, it's, it's written a lot on, on the COVID thesis. And, you know, I, I think it's fair to say a lot of these names have not really supported long term valuation from COVID. It's sort of been uh, a temporary trade. And, and look, I mean, maybe this will be the drug uh, and I'll be wrong and we'll see some full randomized controlled data. And this will be the uh, uh, drug that will really drive profitability for Regeneron. I just don't think it's likely. You look at these names, um, the enthusiasm trade ha has really only been very temporary on, uh, you know, across all the COVID stocks. So just to underscore that point, Brian, basically Gilead, uh, Regeneron, you're not expecting them to make money off of any of these treatments. Even, even if tomorrow an EUA were granted for this, this antibody cocktail, Regeneron wouldn't make a penny, would it? I don't know that they wouldn't take a penny. I think in the scale of their valuations, I think the profitability generated um, would be pretty insignificant. All right. Brian, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Brian Scorney of Baird. Tim, what do you make of these? You know, he said they were trades. They are trades. Look at them. I agree. And we've seen that. We, look, we've seen that for the last five months as we've been talking about really this, this, this run. And they've been market days. Uh, and they've been trades. And if you look at Gilead, uh, this is a stock that's basically trading kind of near three-year lows and back at the bottom. In fact, if anything, look, the driver for Gilead is this immunomedics deal that they did at 108% premium, which is a major bolster to what has been their plan in oncology. Uh, and some sense that they actually knew some, some of the data uh, on, on, on their key drug going into this that gave them the confidence to pay what they paid. In fact, I did Gilead as a final trade somewhere last week. And my view is that uh, both the valuation, the balance sheet, which was able to do this deal of 15 billion in cash uh, and six billion in debt uh, is very attractive at these levels and a stock that's bounced from these levels. That's why you want to own Gilead here, because they made that big transaction. And I think the market better understands the strategy. All right. Got to take a quick break. Here's what's coming up next. It's a fast money's version of choose your own adventure. The Chartmaster lays out five market scenarios for how the year could end. We'll find out which one the traders are buying. Plus, are options traders betting that the deal between Tiffany and LVMH is back on? We'll dive into the pits to find out when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're just a few days into the fourth quarter, but the Chartmaster's already gearing up for year-end. Carter Worth is laying out five different scenarios on how we could finish out the year. So, Carter, take it away. Sure. So this is kind of uh, on the fun side. This report's done every year. It's the 14th annual Choose Your Own Adventure. And the idea is to try to determine once Q4 has started, not so much how it ends, which is obviously important, but the path traveled. 
And so let's look at the five scenarios that were put out this morning. First chart is just the S&P itself. And here we sit after our 10% uh, plus correction and a little bit of strength. So the first choose your own adventure choice, scenario one, is where we're basically, as we are, sort of 3,400 plus minus range bound. And then we get aggressively re-rated right after the election, basically right to the September 2nd high, a 5% move. And then for the rest of the year, kind of drifting higher from there with a close at 37.25, a pretty big year, up 15 uh, plus percent. The second scenario, also bullish, is where we're range bound here, 3,400 plus minus. We do get re-rated higher after the election, but we stop at the September peak, September 2nd peak, and then sort of fade into the end of the year, ending around 34.50. Still a pretty good year, up 6, 7 percent. Scenario three um, is on the bearish side, which is to say we get re-rated lower immediately after the election, and yet then it stabilizes the S&P around 3,000 and is able to climb back to the 3,200 plus minus level uh, where it closes the year, and that would be actually a loss of about 1.7. Choose your own venture number four, uh, also bearish, in this case a re-rating lower after the election, and then a very uh, big recovery, seasonal or what have you, in December and gets us back to uh, 33, 33.50, uh, a gain of about 3% on the year. And then the final choose your own adventure scenario, um, the most bearish is obviously churning here, 3,400 plus minus, an aggressive re-rating lower. We get as low as uh, 28.50 and don't really recover much a little bit of a kick save in December, ending around 28.75. That would be an 11% decline. Um, typically, we get three or 400 responses from all over the uh, spectrum, and we're adding them up now. Mm, okay, so the opening question is, choose your own adventure, which scenario? So we're going to put it to the traders, and then, Carter, we're going to get your uh, pick of scenario. Let's go around the horn. Guy, I know you're paying close attention. Uh -huh, Which uh -huh, of the five scenarios uh -huh. do you think is going to play no. out for the year? You, know, you always start with me, but this time I was paying attention. Door number four, Monty, for you uh, Monty Hall fans, let's make a deal. I know there were only three. I pick four. Carter Worth would have been a great Indiana Jones in terms of choosing his adventure, but I think the most likely, in my opinion, is we basically get back and see the levels that we saw a week or so ago vacillate around there. I think number four for me makes the most sense. All right. Tim, what do you say? Well, I know you're a big fan of the Bambino, so um, I chose number three. And <laughs> I'm also a fan of, of letting the market find its place here in some of this uncertainty. I think we, we had an enormous rally through the summer. You can see that the market is, is, is really trying to respond to that. But going into a period where uh, really whatever happens in the White House, I think markets are gearing up for 2021. But, but banks need to get going if this market's going to finish positive. And I'm not sure we're going to get that. Um, but I don't think it's devastating. And I think the Fed is still your friend. So number three is my adventure. Karen, which one? Yeah, um, mine is number two. I think that this circle here is we get some certainty on the election on, uh, up on that and then kind of a drift lower into the new year. So up 6.8, I think it was for the year, that scenario, but not wildly yeah. bullish. All right. Grasso? So I'm looking for scenario number five. I'm looking actually for, so Carter had said 28.75. I think we actually finish a little bit lower than that, but I think that's right in the, in the same ballpark. As you sa stated earlier, 
this uh, this rally has built has been built on lower regulation and lower taxes. I think after the election, you're going to see a drift lower. You're going to see big te uh, tech companies in the target. There's going to be multiple reasons to sell the market, but I think everyone is afraid to sell it up until the election because Donald Trump has used the uh, the markets as his barometer. So he could pull anything out of a hat going into the election. I think your chance for the bulls is going to be between November 3rd mm -hmm. and the end of the year. And that's where you see scenario number five. All right. So Grosser's adventure entails going to the bunker. Nobody's been uh, picking the, the most bullish scenario. Carter, what's your adventure? What You get the well, final word. You guys are pretty... Sure, you're pretty covered. I mean, Karen, you've got a fairly bullish one. Obviously, uh, Grasso, the most bearish. I went with number four. Again, it doesn't have to be five series. It could be 50, of course, but you can't write a thousand-page report. So <laughs> that would call for basically weakness uh, in response to the election and with a seasonal recovery and strength in December. Okay. Carter, let us know what your clients vote. We're, we're curious. Thank you. You bet. Carter Braxton, we're with Cornerstone Macro. Coming up. They are loving it. Shares of McDonald's rallying today. The big call and the big name that sent this stock surging. Plus, we'll tell you about the one options trader who went diamond hunting today. The big trade that caught our eye when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Investors loving shares of McDonald's today after Bank of America raised its price target to a new street high of 250 bucks a share. Analysts there pointing to strong drive-through numbers during the pandemic. And separately, McDonald's announcing a new celebrity partnership. Mickey D's is teaming up with Latin pop star, is it Latin pop star? Jay Balvin for a new meal that includes his favorite menu items, a Big Mac, medium fries, and an Oreo McFlurry. So, Guy, are you loving it? Huh. <laughs> well, Jake is my favorite artist. I mean, Jake. I have all his work. It's, it's pretty incredible to sort of his career to see the sort of the trajectory of it, obviously culminating with this partnership with McDonald's is tremendous. And that is reason alone to buy the stock. Medium fries to me is a little fugazi, but that notwithstanding, we've talked about McDonald's now for quite some time. I know Tim has. We've been saying how and technically it's been doing everything right. 220 was that prior high back this time last year, and I do think the stock continues to ratchet higher. People will say no good on valuation. I say stay with the name. Um, Tim, you actually tweeted about this. You've been a shareholder of McDonald's. Yeah, I have been. Look, I mean, when did McDonald's get so hip? In fact, McDonald's has really been defining hip. I think I, I know it's crazy, um, but but this is where they are, and they're actually finding some cool there. So whether it's an Oreo McFlurry or whether it's Travis Scott, I, I forget what his his milkshake was, but. Um, the, the bottom line here is through COVID, obviously, the, the, the drive-in, the takeout, the themes that for McDonald's have actually been uh, a beneficial trend, I think, continue. But also the valuation that comes for digital, for online, mm -hmm. and, and for some of their loyalty programs is exactly why I think this stock moves higher. Yeah, hip or not, the drive-through, the digital, Karen, that's perfect for a pandemic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is. I mean, McDonald's, there's a couple of them that were already heading that way of being more um, be, digital, being more important. So if you look at like a Chipotle, a Starbucks, a McDonald's, and then they accelerated into the pandemic. And I think they're all, well, obviously the, the stocks are doing okay, but I think their businesses will all be better for it on the way out. A quick Grasso, favorite restaurant trade? 
Uh, yeah, you know where I'm going to go? I'm going to go to uh, Shake Shack with their Shack tracks. I think they're trying to follow in the path of McDonald's on a much, much, much lower scale. But at one point, they were only thought to be able to survive in city areas. Now they're branching out uh, to suburban areas. Shake Shack would be my, uh, my, my dark horse bet. All right, coming up, a big red spot in today's rally. We'll tell you what sent shares of DraftKings tumbling. Plus, looking to add some bling to your portfolio. Options traders are betting big on the little blue box. That trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of luxury stocks. Tiffany and LVMH, both on the rise today. The two companies have been locked in a fierce legal battle over a $16 billion merger. But just when it looked like the deal might be off, one options trader is betting $1 million that these two will end up together. Mike, what would you make of the action? Yeah, so in Tiffany, we saw more than three times the average daily call volume today, and all of that the result of a single trade in the November 125-130 call spread. Somebody paid a little over a dollar for 10,000 of those. Now, remember, every call option represents 100 shares, so that's on a million shares. So the total outlay of premium, as you pointed out, is over a million dollars in premium. And, of course, the most this can be worth is $5 for each of those spreads, or $5 million. So essentially what's going on here is someone's making a bet at 4 to 1 odds that the deal actually takes place and that the stock is going to go up to that higher strike price, which conveniently is right around the deal price. So the idea here is risk a little in case it does happen uh, and then make a multiple of your money. But still, it's less than 50-50 odds based on the prices that we're seeing. Mm. Uh, Karen is our resident arbitrageur. What do you make of the deal now? Yes. Well, I thought it was a really interesting trade because you need, you need some sort of um, outcome for sure with certainty to have this trade work. So it can work with a shaved price at 130 or it could work if the original deal goes through. The thing that's interesting to me is this trade expires around the time that depositions will need to take place. And I'm betting, I don't have this trade on, but maybe the person who put it on is betting that Arnaud does not want to sit for a deposition and he would cave before that and just say, fine, we're done. And is that, is that how you are positioned? Maybe a tiny discount. Is that how you are positioned I'm right long now? stock. Mm-hmm. So I'm willing to long the stock. Just from waiting for the trial, I think it'll be fantastic. Yeah. Could absolutely get resolved before then in a way favorable. But Guy? First of all, I love the word arbitrageur. I mean, it's fantastic. If you Adams Family fans out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I digress once again. I will say, we've said it for a while, I think the Florin Tiffany's, to me, is about $112 or so. I think you traded on the long side against that. <laughs> Tiffany by itself, I think, is worthy of this. And they're yeah, going to ram something up. through regardless of them drinking champagne or whatever they're going to do at the deposition in Paris. Yeah, Mike, back to you. Yeah, just one quick point I would make is that what we see in the options premiums, the call prices above that higher 130 strike price, very, very low premiums. So the possibility of something above that taking place is being heavily discounted by the options market, not just this specific trade. Of course, the lower strike options are still pricey as that uncertainty persists. All right. Mike, thanks for the action. Mike Coe. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, rough day of trade for DraftKings. We will explain what is dragging this stock down next. And tonight, do not miss an NBC town hall with Joe Biden. Lester Holt is sitting down with the Democratic nominee as we close in on Election Day. You can catch that live, 8 p.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of sports gambling stock DraftKings falling today on news of a massive secondary offering. The company announcing it will issue 32 million shares of its Class A common stock. That's 16 million shares from DraftKings, 16 million from current shareholders. Uh, Tim, what's your take on this news? I think it's a smart thing to do at a time when the stock's been stratospheric, even for, for I, I, look, I'm long the stock. It doesn't really bother me. Um, and I think the stock actually performed very well today when you consider uh, the run it's had and, and another 32 million shares out there, essentially 16 new, 16 in, in sold by insiders. Look, if you saw the Caesars William Hill deal uh, two weeks ago, you can effectively see this is a land grab and, and essentially these two firms have the pole position. So uh, at a time when we're seeing that addressable market grow exponentially or will probably through the next election season, uh, I think it's very important that those who are fighting for that land grab continue to be as aggressive as they can be, raising some capital here. I think there will be more bolt-on acquisitions, and I think there'll be you know, a marketing and a technology blitz. So I think it's a very exciting space to be in. Uh, it's not surprising to see a company come to market after such success. Steve? Yeah, the stock is up, to Tim's point, 465% year-to-date. But if you look at it on a market cap basis, Melissa, I'm sure you'd be shocked when you saw this. It's a $21.5 billion market cap. If I told you that Wynn is at $8 billion and MGM is at $10.6 billion, kind of a head scratcher. Not, I, I, I feel they can grow into it, but just that sheer relationship is shocking to me. And Penn Gaming is at 10 or $11 billion right there as well. So they are eclipsing, sucking up all the air in the room, and they're not overbought on on an RSI at this point. So to Tim's point, I think the stock reacted pretty well. I think there's a bright future, but at a certain point, you got to take some chips off the table and just be prudent. Then there's the issue of, you know, as we hear about more and more professional players testing positive for COVID, will the seasons progress? Will the games be played? And will that then impact the amount of betting that goes on on a platform like DraftKings. Karen, what's your take? I think it will, but that's in the short term, right? I mean, if you look at where these things are trading on near-term fundamentals, you can't justify it. So it has to be on further out. So I think that will be a blip, whatever happens this season. But I do think that the the valuations are getting to be pretty rich here. Yeah. Good for them for selling it. It was smart. You know, the use of proceeds was just general. I don't think they had anything specific, but thought it was time to sell. Okay. Up next, we got your final trade. Take a look at the live uh, looks at the Walter Reed Medical Center, as well as the White House. We are expecting the president to leave Walter Reed in just about a half hour's time and return to the White House. Uh, Continue to watch CNBC for live coverage of that. It is now time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour, what do you say? Whirlpool broke out to near five-year highs, and you have a case where the housing uh, trade, I think, is very much still on, but should be played through building materials, of which I will throw Whirlpool in there, as many analysts do. Uh, Valuation not expensive, breaking out. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, all this talk about the gold rush for vaccines. So what do you want to own in a gold rush? You want to own pickaxes and little metal plates that you look for gold and, and dungarees, as they used to call them. So who makes all those stuff? Chemicals, reagents, supplies, Thermo Fisher. That's Guy. how you play it. TMO. Guy still calls them dungarees. Uh, Steve Grasso. The solar <laughs> ETF, T-A-N, is the symbol. You're going to see more and more states having mandates about solar power needing to be used. 
And if Biden comes in, you're going to have this uh, Green New Deal, a huge deal. Money's going to be flowing into solar, T-A-N-E-T-L. Guy. Love a good dungaree. Caterpillar breaking out to the upside, Mel. Thanks for watching Fast Mad Money starts right now.